own cell phone. Yeah. Don't touch that anymore. You Don't touch it. it. All right, yeah, all right. Getting enough trouble. Okay. All right. Well, let me get centered here for a minute because this is a serenity treat, right? Yeah. Well, I got to tell you guys, driving is like my least favorite thing to do in all the world. It's the least serene thing. I hate it. I hate driving. And frankly, talking about you guys are like 300 miles beyond any lengths, that's for sure. Um, so let me just get centered here and try and bring my higher power into this. Otherwise, it gets to be about me. And I don't want it to be about me. How about if we say the serenity prayer? That's a good idea. And would you like to lead us in our serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I do, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. So, I am a compulsive overeater and a miracle of mental health. And my name is Roy L. I usually use my last name, but they're recording it. and I don't want to play fast and loose with the tradition of anonymity. And I'm not kidding when I say I don't want it to be about me, because you guys are here for serenity. And... Um, I, after this drive especially, by the way, Google estimated two and a half hour drive. It's been over, it's been like four hours, you know, it's Friday rush hour, you know. What they shared was the why they, why they came. Okay. Drawn out of the comfort zone, learn and experience the big book. Somebody must have heard my reputation. To break out of isolation, to get abstinent again. Welcome back, whoever wrote that. To be desperate enough to get abstinent. To give the program a boost, to turbo boost the program, to have a deep experience with OA members, that's very good. To get more recovery, always. To cry, to laugh, to feel, to have a spiritual experience. Well, if I could give you that, boy, I'm almost a higher power, but I don't know if I can... But maybe I can guide you towards what happened to me. To feed my soul, honor my friend Elise, and to feel safe. Excellent. Excellent. Well, when I say I'm a miracle of mental health, why would I make such a statement? Does anybody have any idea? Not one person? It's the oldest joke in 12-step programs. If you want to hide something from compulsive overeater, anybody, an alcoholic, an addict, put it in the big book. Why would I make such an outrageous statement? We, this is page 133, the family afterward, we who have recovered from a serious eating disorder are miracles of mental health. It's in the big book. That's why I say it. Of course, now that puts the onus on me to convince you I've recovered from a serious eating disorder, or else it is a ludicrous statement, isn't it? And I will do you that. I will do that for you, I hope. Um, by the way, when I say the big book, I take my OA sponsees through the book. I just have them. T here's how I adapt. Here's how I adapt the big book for OA. Take white out, cross out alcohol, put in food, 
take white out, cross out alcoholic, put in compulsive overeater, take white out, cross out alcoholism, put in compulsive overeating or eating disorder. Because this is the original program. And uh, God willing, you know, and the creek don't rise, as I say down south. And I did get absent in Miami. I actually got entered the program in Miami. I think that's not quite the deep south. South Beach more is more like it. But uh, <laughs> God willing, the creek don't rise. If I don't overeat the food that Richard kept for me, tomorrow I'll celebrate 33 years of continuous abstinence in Overeaters Anonymous. So I'm a miracle in mental health. And when I say celebrate recovery from compulsive overeating, I mean I don't wake up thinking about food. Food doesn't call me. I usually eat pretty late, actually, so it doesn't bother me to, you know, eat after the meeting. You know, often I'll go, come home from work, get on my bike, go to a meeting, and then I'll be back at 9.30. I might not eat till 10, 10.30 at night. It doesn't bother me because food's not my master today, okay? And at one time, it was my master. And... Um, the best way to convince you I'm a miracle of mental health is to tell you my story. The book says that armed with facts about myself, I can gain the confidence of another compulsive overeater when, when nobody else can. And that's true of everybody in this room. No nutrition counselor, no doctor, you know, frothy emotional, emotional appeal. My mother, well, can't you cut back, you know? The doctor, if you keep eating like this, you're going to have a heart attack. You know, your parents, uh, you're, you're, you're disfiguring yourself. Our friends, our enemies making fun of us. You know, fat boy calling, you know. Nothing can win the confidence of a compulsive overeater like another compulsive overeater. So, um, everybody in this room can save somebody's life when no doctor can, no parent can, no counselor can, no psychiatrist, your enemies can't, your loved ones, you know, please stop eating, I can't stand it, you know. So to do that, I tell you my story, because I got to convince you that I've recovered from this thing, or else anything I present this weekend, and I, I was hoping to do some step work, maybe some workshop work. What's the use of me? If I don't convince you that I ate like you and I felt like you, why would you even bother listening to me? And I've taken lately, I go to an open meeting, everybody's welcome, including overeaters in Santa Monica, where we go through the big book paragraph by paragraph. I call it the anal book study. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's listed in the directory as book study, but I mean, it's scary, this meeting. And you can ask questions and crosstalk is allowed, you know, and it can get a bit weird. Frankly, people to freak out at that meeting. People, especially, but I've always invited OA people to come to the meeting, and um, I pick up tips for sponsoring. The reason I go to the meeting is to listen to other people and pick up tips on how to take people through the steps of Overeaters Anonymous and. and AA too, or any 12-step program, really. addicts are welcome, Al-Anons are welcome. How to use the big book, okay? And this is italicized on page 18. But the ex-problem compulsive overeater who has found this solution, 
who is properly armed with facts about himself can generally win the entire confidence of another compulsive overeater in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. You know, if I lead a step workshop tomorrow, which I hope to do, why would you even bother listening to me unless I convince you that I ate like you and I felt like you? And then it goes on. It's not italicized, and every, but it's worth quoting that the man or woman who is making the approach has had the same difficulty that he obviously knows what he's talking about, that his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect, people new, people coming back, that he's a man or a woman with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, I hope I don't, nothing would ever except a sincere desire to be helpful. Believe me, I didn't come here because I like driving to Hemet or wherever the hell we are. I'm still not sure. <laughs> that there are no fees to pay, well, you, I guess you had to pay to pay for your beds here, but no access to grind. Well, if you don't want to listen to me, don't listen to me. No people to please. A lot of people don't like me, and I don't care. Uh, I've been going to Alamount for 28 years, too. They, you know, they say, like, you know, the 12-step programs are a bridge back to life, and the old joke is they often prove a tunnel to another program is what they do. Um, there's no people to please, no lectures to be endured. I'm not going to lecture you. I'm going to tell you my story and what happened to me. These are the conditions we found most effective after such an approach. Many can put down their forks and eat normally again. I adapt a little bit for our program. So, I just want to tell you all, my top weight was 280-something pounds, 180, I mean 100-something pounds over where I am now. I've gained and lost 80 pounds at least three times. And I'm going to tell you a little of the story. I asked Richard how much time. I wanted to, enough time on Friday night. And I'm glad you guys got a chance to participate a little and talk. You know, I don't want it to be all about me. I want it to be inter as interactive as I can make it. But I asked him for enough time to tell you my story. And I'm on the Internet. And I'm the one that started that light a candle meeting in Santa Monica that started taping the speakers. And uh, I... I basically did it because I was pissed off at OA for never giving me enough time to tell my story. And uh, you could say, story, right? uh, well, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. This is just the warm-up, dude. <laughs> and I'm already, you know, taking 10 minutes. Um, but seriously, I need enough time. What, what happened? What it was like? What, it's like? What, what I was like. It actually says what I was like. What we were like. What happened and what we are like now. See, that's a little misquote. That they, they uh, and I and I and I started that meeting out of a resentment, like they're not giving people enough time to tell their stories. And you say, well, that's ego. My friend Ira down there, and uh, he's in the valley. He says, Roy, your problem is you fell in love with your own voice a long time ago. Well, you can call it what you want, recovery, ego, vanity. But because I started that meeting, we started taping the speakers and posting them on the LA Intergroup website. We're getting hits from all over the world. I mean, thousands of hits. And they link maybe to the Orange County website or saying, I don't know, they link to the Valley website. They link to all these other websites. They've jumped ahead of AA on that. It hasn't reached the miracles of mental health to uh, think they run that program yet, that this is a good idea. So, you, so God will take even a defect, like, hey, Roy was in love with his own voice. You know, he wants, he'll take a defect and use it. 
And I'll go into that later when I talk about the six and seven step. But let me start by saying that I grew up in a family of compulsive overeaters. My mother was always on diets, always trying to get me on diets, you know, making these futile, ridiculous attempts to bring in diet foods. And meanwhile, that was the family drug. You were uncomfortable, you ate. You were pissed off, you ate. It was a neurotic family. They were speed eaters, too. It was like you come to the table, it's like pigs coming to the trough. You got your goodies and got at I, To this day, I've never seen anybody inhale a pizza like my brother. It's like he has an asbestos line mouth. He'll take like a scalding, hot, oily, dripping. And go, it's gone in like three, three bites. And I'm looking, didn't you hurt yourself? Isn't your esophagus ruptured? <laughs> He's on his way up over 300. Again. He's been up over 300. Okay? He's been to OA meetings. He says, you're going to your cult again. He calls it the cult. Meanwhile, I'm lean, clean, serene, and mean, you know, <laughs> like a recovery machine. And he's, you know, he's been there. He's been up over 300. He's on his way up again. He's on medication. Well, I don't know what the hell he's on, but it doesn't help. Compulsive overeating. My father was diagnosed with diabetes, adult onset. I think he was in his 50s. The doctor said, Mr. Levin. I guess I blew my anonymity. Cut that off the tape. If you just moderate your food, control your carbohydrates and sugars, you can. If you eat healthily and normally, you take these little Orbe's tablets. It's like taking a multivitamin. It's no big deal. My mother would find half-eaten boxes of C's chocolates under his bed. You know, this is insanity for a diabetic. But he's a compulsive overeater. Okay. He does not have the power or the wisdom or frothy emotional appeal, even from a doctor. A medical opinion will not stop him. And sure enough, he wound up full-flown diabetes, shooting insulin. I used to see the syringes and the insulin in the refrigerator. That's where his disease took him. You can't just tell a postal reader to stop. Eat healthy. You know? So that's the family I came from. And food was my first drug. I picked up alcohol a little later, but I mean, I've been fat from the age of seven. I was only drunk from the age of 12. I was a late starter on that one. But uh, the only thing I want to say about drinking is that it makes it real hard to go on these crazy diets, you know, if you got a third. You know, I thought maybe light beer could have been the answer, but when you get up to like 12, 16 ounce cans, you know. I, I, I tried to be a vegetarian and live on vodka and mashed potato for a month. I'm a, Vodka and mashed potatoes, they put weight on me. That food plan did not work. So that's the only thing I want to say about alcohol is it makes it a pain in the ass, even more of a pain in the ass to be a compulsive overeater. And by the way, and I don't say this at AA meetings, so don't rat me out, this disease is a, is a real pain in the ass. I mean, you know, it's really no different than any other form of an addiction, really. It's just that we have to ingest our food Three times. I mean, think about the food plan in AA. No alcohol. If your sponsor's really creative, they'll say no alcohol, no mind-altering drugs. Okay? That's their food plan. But on the physical level, we are, you know, our food, we have, it's trial and error. Some of us are hypoglycemic. Some of us are diabetic. Some of us uh, are vegetarians for whatever reason. Some of us are sensitive to sugar. Some of us are sensitive to salty foods, you know, chips, pretzels. 
Our disease is a pain in the ass, frankly. You know, three times a day I have a confrontation with self-honesty, willpower, my own self-will, the grace of God, and the temptations, and everybody else looking at me like, why are you eating that weird stuff, you know? I mean, it's a real pain in the ass to be a compulsive overeater. It's, nobody ever glamorized us, uh, you know, like some of the Alkies, if you ever read, you know, Under the Volcano and all that stuff. You know, the sensitive drinking poet, you know. We get called fat boy, you know. We, they make fun of us, you know. We, you know we, we're left out at the dances, at the, the dating. I had no dating life in middle school and high school and really not much in college. So, I mean, it's not fun being a compulsive overeater. And I was fat before I was drunk. Boy, I was fat since the age of seven. I got stretch marks to prove it. My first crazy diet was the amphetamines. I was about 16, couldn't really get my hands on alcohol yet, I was still at home, and I got my, my mom, I think my mom took me to a shot doctor, or he gave me pills, it was Dexedrines back then, or Dexamils, I forget, I think they were pills, they weren't shots, and I mean, it was like, I like being down, I like to ingest a huge meal and just kind of mellow out and digest, you know how like a python swallows a, a wild boar or something, he's got like a... He's got a big lump in his stomach there, and he'll, he'll digest for he'll digest for a couple weeks. The problem is, like two hours later, I'm I'm eating again. You know that's my problem. But I like to do a downer. You know the food was a downer for me. I calmed myself. I was a huge quantity eater too, and these amphetamines drove me up the wall. And I got started my first attempt at exercising. I was my parents had this split level apartment. This is up in Jersey. I was running up and down the stairs. You know, it's like being a, a, you know, a squirrel in a cage or those hamsters on a wheel, you know, nuts, just nuts, you know, diet, guess what happened? I lost 80 pounds. You know something? Diets work. The problem is, if you're here in this retreat and you haven't been exposed to this work yet, this, this process is outlined in the book. Well, if you haven't heard it yet, you're going to hear it now. You have a threefold disease. It is physical, and it's a pain in the ass on the physical level. Actually, much easier than being abstinent from alcohol. You have a spiritual disease. You want to find out why you're eating? Stop eating. And you'll know why you were eating. Every resentment, every emotion, every insensitivity, every feeling less than, every insecurity, every envy, oh, where's mine, self-pity, that's going to come up. Okay, what's the old OA slogan? It's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. Stop eating, you'll find out why you're eating. And then ultimately, the spiritual malady. I'm disconnected from God. And that's why I really can't take credit for my recovery, although my ego wants me to. I got a disease that tells me I don't have a disease, that I can do this thing. And I got an ego that when I get some recovery wants to take credit. And the truth of the matter is, I never had any power in me to stop eating. And, I, and if you go on one of these crazy diets, you know, and we have tremendous willpower, you know, or at least I did. I, I'll speak only for myself. I lost 80 pounds on the amphetamines and running up and down the stairs. Like, problem is, I still got the spiritual malady. I still got those feelings. And what do you think happened? I gained it all back. The second big one was uh, I was in college at the University of Miami, good old Suntan U. They threw me out of my first college. I don't want to go into all that, but uh, it's part of the drunk log. But 
I gained it all back. Now I'm a fat man in Miami. And I'll tell you, the women, there's nobody wears any clothes in Miami, by the way. I mean, I just, you know, and the girls are running around, the halter time. They're looking good, you know, and I'm fat. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fat, horny, angry person. And uh, so my second big diet was the Stillman diet. I don't know if you guys, some of these diets may come back one of these days. I don't know, maybe they're like men's fashions. They have cycles. But the Stillman was you ate nothing but protein and you flush your kidneys out with water or diet soda or something. I don't know if you guys, this one's probably too old for most of you. But So I'm eating like 20 hamburgers a day and drinking diet black cherry soda or something, you know. And the compulsive exercise, I, call, I, I say I'm a compulsive eater and an exercise bulimic. I do identify as an exercise bulimic. Then it really started down in Florida. Um, at one point, I was literally, I was on the, in the judo club. I was working out regularly. I was lifting weights, hitting a bag. I was swimming in the Miami Olympic-sized pool, and I was running. And I got up to 12 miles a day in Miami heat. I'm talking about 12, um, high noon in Miami, 90-degree heat, 90-degree humidity. And I'm out there running. I think there was one crazy gym teacher, this woman. I don't think she was quite out of the closet yet, but she was something. And then there was other, this other guy. It was like be, before, you know, I'm dating myself. This, this is before the uh, running phase quite hit full tilt with Farrah Fawcett on the cover of People magazines in a running suit. It was before, it was, Jim Fix's book, I don't think, was even out, but... He was a famous running guru who dropped out of a heart attack. So all this goes to show you. So, got, got, but uh, he wrote this book, The Complete Runner. And it, the running phase hit back then. And, but nobody was running in Miami with 90 degree heat back then and 90 degree humidity. You know, high noon in Miami. I'm out there. And it wasn't even a scenic run. It was like around the, the University of Miami soccer practice field. They had this just kind of a square. And once again, I'm like a rat in a maze or a hamster on a wheel, and I got the obsession. See, this time it'll be different. What's the book say? I will chase this delusion that someday, somehow, I will manage and control this thing. Maybe I'll, I'll be able to run it off. Maybe I won't want to eat again. Maybe I'll find the magic diet. Maybe somehow the problem will go away. I don't know what I was thinking. But all I know is I went on the Stillman diet and went into a compulsive exercising thing and I lost 80-something pounds again. Now, what's the problem? Nothing, on the, nothing to calm the soul, you know? No, no sense of ease and comfort except from food, right? No connection with a higher power that puts me at level with you, not more than, not less than. You're a child of God, I'm a child of God. You can have yours, I can have mine, live and let live. Void an argument and retaliation. I didn't have that kind of a world view. Okay? So what do you think happened? I graduated, which I hated. My, I think my parents had to like pry my hands off the doorknob of the apartment. I hate cold weather. I'm a hot weather guy. I love hot weather. And uh, I go back north and I gained it all back again. So now I'm up in New Jersey my native state in the town of Trenton, which we used to say, if you want to give the world an enema, stick it in Trenton. <laughs> and, uh, Trenton makes the world taste. There you go. It was on the, it's on the uh, bridge up there. Roebling Cable built the bridge. Uh, here's a New Jersey person. <laughs> you can have it. I'm never going back there. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, 
I gained it all back. So now I'm up north living with my parents. I'm an alcoholic. By this time, I can get my hands on alcohol, right? Unemployable, crazy, uh, and I'm fat. And so now I find the pregnant hormone shots diet. Remember that one? Yeah. Oh, that one. I don't even know if that's still around, but it is. Oh my God. So there was this thinning, grin, evil osteopath. And he had a clinic going full tilt in Jersey. And then he had another clinic going on across the river in Pennsylvania. You know, we're just across the Delaware River. This is my Kleenex. Excuse me for this. It's unsightly. Excuse me. And um, he's grinning and he's thin. And there's all these women and some men lined up and they're giving him 25 bucks for the... He weighs you in, shakes your blood pressure, gives you this placebo of pregnant hormone shots diets, and then puts you on a 500-calorie-a-day Auschwitz food plan, you know? (laughs) uh, Anybody's going to lose weight on this. You know, an anorexic probably would like this food plan. But, uh, you know, so we're lining up, getting these shots, paying, you know, five bucks a shot. And I joined a gym up in New Jersey. So now I went from Miami, 90 degree heat, 90 degree humidity, running at high noon. So now it's New Jersey in the winter, and I got a ski mask on. I'm running behind a snow plow, and the snowflakes are coming down in the blizzard. And you know, up in the uh, up in the Northeast, they have these like porches and wooden houses. She probably knows, and people would come out. The guys like coming out of porch with like a raccoon coat or something to get his paper. The paper boy would throw the paper up on the porch. And um, he comes out and he sees me running by back at a snowplow and he's going, hey, Rocky, hey, hey, you know? I mean, who the hell else is running behind a snowplow in the middle of a blizzard except a compulsive overeater? I guess maybe he thought I was on the Olympic bobsled team or something. I don't know what he thought. But this is nuts. But I'm going to chase this illusion or delusion to the gates of insanity at death. It'll be, maybe, maybe I won't want to eat. Maybe these hormones will change my hormones. Maybe I'll find a magic food plan. Maybe I'll be able to run it off. Who the hell knows I was thinking? Is there a definition for this? The book has a definition for this. It's called insanity. Okay, compulsive overeater insanity. What is an addict? I don't care what your drug of choice is. Mine happens to be food and alcohol in that chronological order. An addict is someone who I'm doing something I don't want to do against my own will, often with the knowledge that it's killing me and ruining my life, and I still can't stop doing it. Okay, now this is the insanity that the book's talking about. I don't want to eat. I, I, don't, I want to stop eating. I, I, don't, I want to be healthy. I want to be thin. I want to be happy. And I can't stop doing what I'm doing to me. And I don't care if your drug of choice is, you know, if you're a junkie, your drug of choice is heroin. If you're a crackhead, I guess it's rock cocaine, smoking it. If you're a crystal meth addict, I guess it's snorting speed. If you're a compulsive overeater, it's a gallon of Hagen dazs my, my, my favorite binge food was a half gallon of mint chip ice cream. That was my binge food. Although, coming off a drunk, I like the pound and a half of marzipan. That's chocolate covered. I could get behind a pound and a half of marzipan. That's a great detox food. Anyway, uh, I don't care what your drug is, you know. 
I'm an addict, so I'm going to, I'm doing something I don't want to do against my own will with, with perfect knowledge that is ruining my life. But I'm an addict, and I can't stop doing it. Last diet I was on, the major one was the liquid protein. <coughs> Anybody know the liquid protein? Anybody ever eat frozen food? Anybody eat food off the floor? Yeah? Anybody chug a maple syrup in the stone? I chugged the bottle of maple syrup. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm in the right place here, you know? <laughs> but uh, anybody go through the McDonald's and say, oh, give me uh, one with ketchup and give me one without pickles with mustard to pretend that it, you were ordering for two people? Anybody do that? Okay. Just want to make sure I'm in the right place. So, the last crazy diet was the liquid protein, which just, oh, this awful stuff. I don't know what to this. I never tasted panther piss, but I can imagine that would be... Uh, I'll use my imagination and say, well, it couldn't be any better than this, or any worse. And I'm cutting it with diet orange soda or something, you know. And meanwhile, I haven't eaten. This is, I'm back down in Florida. I couldn't, I couldn't take the north. I can't take cold weather. Still crazy unemployable, still drinking too, which never makes it easy to go on these crazy diets, you know. And I remember I, I hadn't eaten solid food for a month. And I literally had no blood sugar. I was supposed to take a tennis lesson or something, and I couldn't, like, lift the racket. So I had to, barely, I got to cancel this lesson, you know. And I'm, it was like a Friday night in Miami. To, I would say I was hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, but I don't think hungry quite describes it when you haven't had solid food. I'm just starving, angry, lonely, and tired. And I'm sitting in this apartment, and I'm knowing all my friends are down in Coconut Grove chasing women, getting blasted, getting stoned, drinking, getting high, you know, having fun. And I'm sitting in this apartment waiting for Monday. Because remember, it's always the magic number. If I lose a certain amount of weight, there's a number involved. Then this time it'll be different. I won't want to eat, or I'll find the food plan, or I'll be able to run it off. You know, I wasn't doing too much running, and I was just absolutely. So I kind of like, I just couldn't take it. I cracked. I couldn't hold out till Monday. It was a Friday night. I kind of, I remember as I got up, I was so dizzy, you know, I had to lean against the wall. But I made it out to my car in Dadeland, the local uh, shopping center. It was just around the corner. And I, here's how a compulsive overeater and an alcoholic breaks a, a diet, right? I bought two whole pizzas and two cases of wine. And, the, and that was, the only thing I want to say about that is I wound up in jail that night, okay? So this is not the way to break your fast. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's insane. It's just insane. And that, and that started me, I don't want to go into that, but it started me to get sober about a year later. I'm, a, I'm the real deal on all these programs, believe me. I earned my seat in any program. You know, I didn't decide like, well, I'm a, hey, I'm sober in AA. I think I'll join OA. That's something to do on a Wednesday night. And then I'll join Al-Anon. <laughs> That's something to do on a Tuesday night. And then I'll join Debtors Anonymous, you know. You know, I mean, I earned my seat in these programs because um, all I can tell you is it led to my getting sober. I don't want to go into a drunk lot. That's not the point of this meeting. I'm here to identify as a compulsive reader. But you know how it is. You come into one program, you hear about the others. It's inevitable. You can't escape. And the geniuses in AA, hey, if you feel like taking a drink, have a candy bar. <laughs> oh, these guys know what they're talking about, right? I gained, so my, remember, my food was my first drug, okay? I was a fatty before I was a drunk. 
First month I'm sober, I gained 30 pounds. Eight months into recovery, I didn't really have too much, is my opinion, but knowing what I do now, I'm out of control of the food. I'm li I was out of the state. I was in Vermont at Middlebury College. Beautiful in the summer. I wouldn't go near it in the winter. Uh, and I couldn't stop eating these goddamn carob-covered granola bars. I was trying to keep it down to a dull roar. You know what I'm saying? Because I, every time I gained the weight, it, I gained back faster. And every time you lose it in these crazy diets, it's more painful and it's more agony. It's like, you know, higher highs on the stock market charts. You know, it's like a, it's an uptrend there. You know, and like I knew like 280 was my last, 280 something was, I knew 300 pounds was coming. And I, I was on my, I literally remember being on my knees. Now I had about, I don't know, six, seven months in AA, not drinking, right? Out of control with my original drug of choice, which was food. And I remember on my knees praying, saying, God, when I get back to Miami, I got to get to this OA thing I've been hearing about. I get back to Miami, binging, and I go to my first OA meeting back in 1978. And I don't think there was a man at my first meeting. I really don't. If there was, I don't remember him. It was mostly women. Uh, I, I would, I'm not going to say they're old because I'm that age now. So, uh, <laughs> but I was the young buck then. I was still, you know, compulsively exercising, running about six miles a day and working out. You're trying to, trying to keep the weight from going up to 300, you know. And I come in, and like, instead of being grateful and humble, I'm like, who are these people? What are they doing with the big book? And we said the prayer. I don't remember a thing that was said at my first meeting. I really don't remember. I just knew I was in pain. And they, we say the serenity prayer, and this woman comes up to me and says, how do you know the serenity prayer? I said, well, I'm in AA about six months. Oh, well, my name is Edie, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I've lost 90 pounds and kept it off for five years. Now that gets my attention. <laughs> See, we got to identify. See, I don't care what the hell she was. She's a compulsive overeater. She's lost 90 pounds and kept it off for five years. That gets my attention. And somehow she became my sponsor that night. I don't know if I asked her. I think she appointed herself. But And let me tell you something about OA back in 78. It wasn't kind of book-oriented. It was more kind of like little, you know, these condo commandos from North Miami Beach, you know? And it was kind of like little Jewish women with opinions anonymous down there. I'm Jewish, I can say that. So, and, he, and it was gray sheet. That was the higher power, was the gray sheet. The higher power was gray sheet. And, you know, you got on this gray sheet, and it was one size fits all. And, like, uh, you had to be on gray sheet. And now, remember, I'm like 25 years younger than most of them. I'm running six miles a day. I'm a young buck. And, like, they're putting me on the same food plan as everybody else. There's no milk in the coffee. I hate black coffee. You can't put milk in the coffee. I, it says here I can eat maybe a pear and apple. Don't eat a pear. There's too much sugar in the pear. And I had to call her and before I made any changes. And I'd say, Edie, can I eat a pear instead of an apple? No, too much sugar. She never would let me eat the pear, you know? And she never would let me eat the... It was all gray sheet. And I was kind of starving again, you know? And I got 
two weeks of abstinence, you know? Abs, I'm abstinent. Ah! And I'm, and I'm uh, on, they weren't very creative, you know, fle- let me put it this way, God bless her soul, flexibility was not Edie's strong suit, you know? She was just passing on to me what she was given to her. And it says in the book, you cannot transmit what you do not have. If your food plans your higher power, can you food sponsor somebody? I guess you can. You know, you can pass that on. But if you don't have any serenity or you haven't been relieved of the obsession, you can't pass it on. And uh, I'm abstinent and I'm on my way to Paris, France, ostensibly to study French. In reality, fleeing from my problems. But plausibly to study French. I had a front. And uh, I was good in languages. Spoke. I speak French and Spanish. Still do. Um, I just got back from two weeks in... Uh, about a month... No, two months ago, I got back from two weeks in Medellin, Colombia, where I went to OA meetings and showed an OA gal to take uh, OA... And I spoke about three meetings. All they could ask about, how's Roseanne? How's Roseanne? She's still alive. I haven't seen her in like a couple of years. But... So she has very good uh, credibility in Colombia. They really love her there. Anyway, uh, so I'm on my way to France, abstinent. And uh, Edie says, well, you're on, you know, there's OA there. Oh, yeah. You better brown bag a lunch. Now, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm from AA. I'm too cool to be brown bagging, you know. I'm from from the mother ship, you know. I'm from the beverage program. And uh, brown bagging, you know. Well, you know, I was hanging in there on my ass, but she told me, brown bag, an abstinent lunch, you see. But I call up the airlines, can I have a diabetic meal? Yes. Get to, so I'm on my way to France, check in at the LA, uh, Miami International, check in at the desk, do you have the diabetic meal? Yes, sir, Mr. L. The stewardess on the plane, do you have the diabetic Yes, Mr. L, everything. I think I asked about three times, really. All right. So now I'm on my gray sheet, starving, breakfast at about 6. By the time we get up in the air and they clear everything away and they start serving, it's probably 2 in the afternoon. I am hungry. I am hungry because, A, I've been starving on gray sheet for two weeks. B, I'm a compulsive reader, so I'm always hungry anyway. And three, I'm really hungry. You know, it's... And it comes time to pass out the diabetic meals, and guess what? Oh, Mr. L, the food service forgot to put back the diabetic meal. So here's, what am I going to do? See, I was too cool to brown bag, see? I wasn't taking good orderly direction yet from the OA people. And um, they passed, they just put a regular tray in front of me. Now, this is nothing criminal on here, okay? There's nothing, you know, against the, there's nothing totally like Chernobyl toxic. We're just talking about stuff I hadn't seen in a couple weeks, like toast, you know, potatoes. Of course, there was the airplane dessert cupcake. Oh, yeah. You know how airplane food is. Still pretty shitty as far as I'm concerned, but back then it was really shitty. And uh, I was just starving, and I took the first compulsive bite on the plane to Paris. And, you know, I eat the cupcake, and then my neighbor didn't eat Hey, can I have your cupcake? You know, sure. And I'm on the goddamn plane, I, I relapsed on the way to Paris. You know how you say you hit the ground running? 
Well, I hit the ground eating in Paris, France. And um, AA was no problem. They were taking bets I was going to get drunk back in the Carl Gables group where I got sober. But they didn't know. I'd already worked some steps, you know. But they had no idea. There was, I could make four meetings a day in Paris in English. And I spoke French, too. So I could make two in English, two. There was no problem with AA. I had no problem staying sober. OA in Paris in 1978, the Paris group of Overeaters Anonymous was the shakiest, flakiest OA group. It had been founded by this doctor, a French doctor, who did a residency in Atlanta and took the program back to France in English. And the French would come in every once in a while and try and get the English, you know, but their high school English is kind of like most people's high school French, and they couldn't get it. And I always felt we were sending them out to die, you know. She brought the program back in English, and there was no French OA. And she was our founder, Natalie. She, well, back then she was more set, but she rebirthed herself and renamed herself. And, uh, and Bob R. was 11 years sober, and he was throwing up 11 times a day. He was a bulimic. And we had the English compulsive overeaters. We had our anorexic, I forget her name now, but her parents were psychiatrists. And with all their medical knowledge and psychiatric wisdom, they couldn't believe they've spawned this anorexic, you know, who was totally crazy, starving herself to death. It was really flipped them out. So that we got the, the eaters are binging, the bulimics are puking, and the anorexics are starving, and nobody is abstinent in the Paris OA group. And I am out of control with the food in Paris, France. And I mean, I'm binging, I'm binging I go all the way to Paris, right? And what am I binging on? Bread, cheese, and chocolate. It was good bread, good cheese, and good chocolate. It's very good, actually. But nothing I really couldn't have gotten back in Miami, you know? I mean, I remember my, I had some French roommates, and they'd look, look at me eat a breakfast. And I'd take, like, a pan, not a baguette, that's a kind of thin one. A pan looks like a Yule log. It's a small log. It's a, <laughs> And I'd slice it in half, and I'd take like a pound of, or a quarter, whatever that was, of French butter, and I'd lather it up, and then I'd take a wheel of coulommier, which is kind of a mild camembert. That's enough to feed a French family for a week, you know. They didn't even eat breakfast at that time, the French. They didn't have a cup of cocoa in the morning. Americans ruined them. Now they got cocoa puffs and, you know, frosty flakes and all that crap over there now. Americans ruined French eating habits. They got McDonald's on the Champs-Élysées and all this. But back then... My French roommates, they didn't even eat breakfast. They might have, and they'd watch me lather up this Yule log with a pound of butter and a wheel of coulomb. It would feed a family for a week, you know. And, I'd eat, and then I wouldn't drink wine with it, which just drove them nuts. It, I offended every Gallic sensibility in their body, you know. And they're watching me eat this thing. Wouldn't you like a little red with that? No? Je bois pas, monsieur. Je bois pas. And they'd watch me eat this, and they were horrified. And meanwhile, I'm like, you know, the, food, the, the, the clothes are getting tighter, you're getting fatter, I'm out of control, and I can't stop. I remember literally walking out of a French boulangerie, which is a bakery, with like that Yule log thing in the paper bag. And like, I, I'm on the way to the apartment, I like, took a little bite out of it, you know? By the time I got my apartment, I like gnawed it down to the bag level, like a beaver, you know? And uh, I remember, I'll, I'll talk about, nobody was, uh, nobody was abstinent in the goddamn Paris group. And then I go down to X to study France. 
uh, I, I got in a language academy down in Aix-en-Provence. And um, I'm, I remember, I'm out of control of the food. I remember being in the gare, the uh, train station. And I'd take the Midnight Express from Marseille up to Paris and go to meetings sometimes, you know, because I was going nuts down there. I was, there was no program down there. I'm actually a co-founder of the French AA group down there because I was hooked up with this crazy Jean-Pierre C. And I had like six, seven months or eight months of sobriety and not much serenity and out of control of the food and we started this A group. There was no OA and I'd go up to Paris. I'd sleep on the couchette on the Midnight Express from Marseille to Paris and I'd wake up in Paris and go to meetings. And I remember being in the gare before the, uh, the midnight train left looking at like my fifth or sixth French mounds bar. And I go all the way to Paris to, to minge on, well they call them bounty bars, but they're mounds bars. They're chocolate covered coconut with almonds. And uh, I'm looking at like my fifth mounds bar and I got sugar up to here. And it's like, you know, I'm like intoxicated with sugar, you know, sugar's an alcoholic food for me. And I'm saying to myself, do I want this more than I want abstinence? And the answer was, it was a moment of truth. That's why I tell this story. I really wanted to be abstinent. But you know how it is, you had five. And I didn't want to haggle with a woman to get my money back. So, you know, down the hatch. So I eat, you know, I'm like, I eat the six mounds bar because I'm a compulsive overeater and I got no power in me whatsoever. And I'm sugared, I'm stoned on sugar. And I get on that train and I said, I just got, I just can't do this anymore. Now you got to, this is why this is important. All I could remember about abstinence was gray sheet. And it was just unpleasant. It was deprivation. It was punishment. It was not happiness. So I had the fear of going back into an abstinence. But I tell this story because the pain of the present had to get worse than my fear of the future. I had to get willing to step into this unknown called abstinence. And the pain of the present had to be there. And I got up in Paris and got off that train and I went to a French cafe and I just said, give me two soft-boiled eggs Take away the bread, monsieur. No frites, no french fries. Give me a little salad or whatever. On cafe clems, you would play. Put milk in the coffee. Edie's not there breathing down my neck in Paris. See? She's back in Miami. Screw you, Edie. I'm gonna... So I put, I put milk in my... But basically, it wasn't wild. It was just eggs. No bread. No cheese. You know, salads. There. And milk, coffee with milk in a big deal and apple, fresh fruits for dessert. And I get through that meal, and I, and, I, and I just eaten an abstinent meal for my first time in France after a month or so of binging, okay? And it was, it was October. It was around then. And I stress this because I was so in the now. I had no ideas about weight loss, magic numbers on the scale, leading OA retreats in the wilds of wherever the hell we are. <laughs> and, you know, uh, it was like taking can. It was all about, I just want to be abstinent right now. And I was abstinent in breakfast. So I go piddling around Paris doing my thing, go to the noon AA meeting, go to the cafe afterwards with the alcoholics. Un peu de, un peu de filet, de viande, avec du salade, en lieu de fruit. No, no french fries, just give me the salad. 
take away the bread. That was a big binge food for me. After the meal, un grand café crème, s'il vous plaît. You know, big hot coffee with milk. Big deal. Screw you, Edie. You're not breathing down an apple for dessert. Would I like that? Apples are still like my dessert of choice. I bought some with me. And I'm abstinent for lunch. And I go my thing, go to the go to the afternoon meeting, go to the brasserie for dinner. Same thing. Meat, salad, take away the bread. Deca, it's after five, I don't drink caffeine. A deca clems you would play. Put milk in it. Apple for dessert, same damn thing. I'm abstinent. It was one minute at a time, one meal at a time, in the day, in the now. Right? The book tells me where to look for God. Deep down inside of myself, in the last analysis, after all the debating, and the rationalization, and the, in the last analysis, we find him deep down inside of us. It is only there he can be found, says my book. Now, you interpret it as you will. And where am I going to find him? May you find him now. I'm in the now. I'm not in resentment in the past, fear in the future, revenge this, that, I want to be this, worldly clamors, mostly from within, money, property, and prestige, I got to do this, you know. I'm right here, I'm right now, I'm abstinent. For the first time in over a month, it's October 1978. Roughly, I celebrate tomorrow. I'm really not sure of the date. I wasn't watching. Like, like I said, I didn't give a shit about it. I just wanted to be... So I go to the Monday night meeting. It's on the right bank. Be here. I'm sorry. That's all right. Off the uh, Rue Saint Honoré near the... Uh, I don't know how to shut it up. Excuse me. That's all right. It happens all the time. And... Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> there were no cell phones back there. We didn't have to tell everybody to turn off their cell phones. So I get to this meeting on Monday night. It was St. Michael's English Church, Eglise Saint Michel, and I go into that meeting and I wanted to be the superstar VIP, you know, because everybody's been binging their brains out for months, and I'm abstinent. So everybody's around. It was, I'd say, maximum 13, 14 people. It would vary, of course, but I think. You know, circle. I think we were in a... No, we were around the table. The secretary reads how it works, reads the tools. Is there anybody who has anything to say tonight? Got to be the superstar. My hand shoots up. I, wanna, I got something to tell you guys today. I am abstinent tonight. Today, I am abstinent. And then Morissette, well, now she's Natalie. She says, I'm abstinent today. And Bob R. goes, I'm abstinent today. And the anorexia goes... I'm abstinent today. Everybody in the group got abstinent on the same goddamn day in Paris, France. It is a group miracle. And as far as I'm concerned, the greatest spiritual event to happen in, Paris, in France is Lourdes, as far as I'm concerned. And from that group, they got abstinent, and I couldn't be the superstar of VIP. See, God, God will mess with me. My God has a sense of humor, you know. The whole, it's a group miracle. I can't be the star. I can't be the VIP. And from that germinal group that got absent, 
OA blossomed in France, and we got French OA. You know, last time I when was the last time I was in power? Maybe sixteen years ago. Maybe, yeah, maybe more. Anyway, um, the, actually, the French OA is stronger than the English-speaking OA now because they're locals. You know, they're there. The, the English-speaking group's transient. You know, so the point is, God's in the now. He's going to be inside me. He's inside you. When we remove the obstacles that block us from the higher power, we get connected. Okay? We get connected to this higher power. Um, I don't know how long I've been gone. Almost an hour, I guess, huh? I don't know how long I've been gone, but... Got time. I got time? Yeah. I usually... The reason I like time to speak is because I like to talk about recovery. Now, tomorrow I want to do some step workshop stuff. Maybe if you're interested, a little history of the 12-step program, history of the big book stuff. But I can tell you right now, just to give you a little bit of a shard. You got another hour, right? Okay. I want to talk about a little bit of recovery. 1923, was that 16 years for the publication of the big book? A man named Sam Shoemaker in a book called Twice Born Ministers, which is about ministers who had had experience with Frank Bookman's Oxford group. And they transformed their lives, even though they were already men of the cloth, theoretically God people, right? And he wrote the following. He says, in one of the stories, that's the stories of the ministers, and Shoemaker compiled it and wrote their stories up in a book. Why am I talking about Sam Shoemaker? Well, he's basically, at the time the book was written, he was Bill Wilson's sponsor because Ebby Thatcher was drunk by April 37. Ebby was drunk by the time the book was written. So he was not, he was Bill's Eskimo, although Bill always called him a spy. He carried the original message. But Bill Wilson was going to these Oxford group meetings and they were a spiritual fellowship. They were on Christian lines. We have to, which is one of the reasons we had to pull away from them. But 16 years before the book was written, Sam Shoemaker wrote the following. He says, what blocks you from God, young man, is four things. And maybe you heard this if you ever had J.S. speak down here in San Diego. He's, well, he's an AA guy, but he's an AA history guy. He says four things that block you. Someone you cannot forgive. A restitution you refuse to make. A secret you will not confess. And a dubious pleasure you will not forego. That's interesting. What do you think in chapters 5 and 6 of the big book adopted for OA? Someone you will not forgive. Resentment, the number one offender, destroys more compulsive overuse than anything else. I will eat at you if I hate you. A secret I will not confess. We will not find enough of fearlessness and humility unless we've told someone else all italicized our life story. Withholding nothing. Don't, it's one of our early 12-step program slogans. You're only as sick as your secrets. It's a valid slogan. If I have time tomorrow and we can set up the projector and stuff and I get my laptop in the car, I have a little comic thing on slogans. Some of the slogans are complete bullshit and some of them are very valid. They're based on sound spiritual principles. Like one that's is you're only as sick as your secrets is definitely based on sound spiritual principles. 
So that, I will eat if I hate you, I will eat if I'm holding on to secrets. Restitution I will not make. The book tells me I got to be willing to make amends. Even, it's, and here's a quote from the book. Sorry folks, regardless of personal consequences. I might have to face legal prosecution. I might have to face guys who hate me, maybe want to knock my block off. Maybe, you know, women that I've wronged that I'm embarrassed to, you know. It says I have to make this restitution. You know, I have to make the best deal I can with creditors. Okay? It says I will not stay abstinent if I'm afraid to face my creditors. It's in the book. Remember, I changed, you know, drunk for, you know, for abstinent. I changed alcohol to food. Same thing. So... Someone I won't forgive, resentments. A secret I won't confess, the inventory. Restitution I won't make. I have to be willing to make the amends. Go on, you know what deflates my ego more than anything else in the world? Going to somebody I can't stand, who I think has wronged me more than I wronged them, and just cleaning up my side of the street. That is the ultimate ego deflator for me, and I'll tell you why. I don't know if I want to go into this tonight. Because it means I can't play God and judge him. Okay? It's that, it's that simple. If I'm judging you, you're the perp, I'm the victim, you did this to me, you wronged me, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm good, you're bad. I get to judge him, convict him, and if I had the power to punish him. See? But this process says, oh, you guys... Trust me, it's all in here. I've been doing this a long time. Okay? Um, you ever hear them say, oh, this program's magical. I don't know how it works. Well, I guess they haven't been reading the same books I'm reading. Page 62 of the big book, Adapted for Overuse Anonymous. Gee, I don't know how this program works. This is the how and the why of it. Okay, bottom of 62. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. It's that simple. The reason I'm 33 years abstinent and a miracle of mental health, and I don't mean just I lost the weight and kept it off, which I have. Okay, and I exercise normally today. I was on my bike for an hour or so today, earlier. No more crazy compulsive stuff. Is because I went from a Roy-centered world to a God-centered world. That's the how and the why of it. It's in the book. This ain't no mystery. It was, and 16 years before the book was out, it was in the teachings of the Oxford Group people. Four things. Resentment. I'll eat at you if I hate you. Secrets. I'm only sick of my secrets. I'll eat over what I'm holding back. The double life. The book says I will, I'm like an actor leading a double life. Okay, I got this front, you know. I don't want to admit you hurt my feelings. It's women, I have a trouble with women. I still owe an amend to this woman who basically... She fancied this other guy, went off with him, and I haven't talked to her. I mean, I try and keep it civil, but she knows I, I don't want to talk to her. And I really don't want to talk to her. I don't want to be her friend. But I have no right to treat her in an uncivil or unkind way. So I earn amend, and I'm going to make it because I like being thin. And, uh, but I don't want to admit you hurt my feelings or that, you know, I don't like to be vulnerable, you know. I have a tough time standing up for myself, being assertive, you know, I'm, I'm a, kind of a, well, that's another story, but 
Um, so I've got secrets, I've got resentments, I've got restitution I need to make, and a dubious pleasure I will not forego. Now, if that doesn't fit compulsive overeating, I don't know what does. You know, I'm getting my happiness out of a half gallon of mint chip ice cream. You know, I can get it from porno, I can get it from gambling. I can get... The book says, I will eat again if my sexual behavior continues to harm others. It says this is not, this is a fact out of our experience, it's not a theory. I can't go around doing what I used to do to women. I don't hit on newcomer women anymore. I'm, I had to make amends. Because I used to hit on newcomer women. I don't do it anymore. I had, I'll eat over shit like that. You know, I can't do it. I can't keep these. There's a, a program slogan which I do think has validity. It actually comes from the Bible, you know, about, you know, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, you know. You know, the road gets narrower. It's not in the book. The book actually talks about a broad highway. <laughs> But the truth of the matter is, it's, just, it's really a six or seven, seven step issue. I can no longer do the, the, indulge myself in these dubious pleasure character defects that I could maybe 20 years ago and get away with it. As I get more on this path, shit has to go that maybe I could keep in my life 20 years ago. But today, I can't have it in my life. You know, when the first couple of years in Miami, and even though I was in AA and OA, I used to go through the toll booth, pretend to throw the toll in the thing, and then just take off, you know. And then the alarms would go off, but they never hunt you down, you know. I had to pay. I had to start paying income tax. Little things like that, you know. I just cannot afford to hold on to these dubious pleasures which harm other people. I still got a problem with driving, I'll tell you. And I get a lot of tickets. I got three tickets on my bicycle on the way to meeting. <laughs> Been nailed. Twice for jaywalking in Santa Monica, there's $196 for jaywalking. Wow. Yeah, there's, they're insane. But I, do I have a part in it? Well, I was guilty. So <laughs> I can't indulge these dubious pleasures anymore. But the point I'm trying to make with this is, and I'll, is these spiritual principles are as old as the hills. There's nothing new here. The magic... And I was going to play, uh, if I get set up tomorrow, I was going to play a, a Bill Wilson CD where he talks about it, the first 12-step call, the Ebby Thatcher. The magic is that we get each other as compulsive overeaters. See, when I tell you my food story, and, and you say, holy shit, this guy was as bad as I was, you know, it was not better, you know. And I'm telling you that I'm a miracle of mental health, and I just don't think about food except three times a day when I'm hungry, usually. Okay, and that you can have this too. Okay, I can gain your credibility, see. The magic is one compulsive overeater sharing with another. It says in the book, at its essence, this program is simple and personal. Okay, I sit down and take a guy through the book. He's sitting with me at least an hour or so a week, sometimes more, and I'm taking him through the book page by page. You know, showing them how, and I did this in Colombia with this, this little Colombian gal, showing them how to take somebody through the steps. And it builds a personal relationship. I'm not interested in running their lives. I will act as a food sponsor. To this day, I have a food sponsor, by the way. I do, I, by the way, I just want to say right, at, right here, 
well, right here, I'm already over an hour into this. <laughs> I have nothing new here, okay? I don't work the Roy L. program. I, there is no Roy L. program. I got no promises. I got no tools. I got no steps. This is the, I work the Bill W. program as adopted for Overeaters Anonymous, see? But this program is simple and personal. I got to share with another compulsive overeater, okay, to stay abstinent. Because I am a compulsive overeater. I was a compulsive overeater before I was an alcoholic. Do you think I wanted to be an OA? I had enough trouble, holy shit, I had enough trouble bottoming on booze. I mean, I'm the real deal. I was hospitalized, hallucination, the whole bit. I didn't want to be here. I have to be here. If I could just stay absent in AA meetings, watching them eat donuts, I guess I'd do it. But I can't, you know. I got to be with my people because it's simple and personal. We get each other here. See, one compulsive overeater armed with facts about himself, armed with facts about this disease, armed with a message of depth and weight, I might be able to get through to you. But first, I've got to convince you that I felt like you and then I ate like you. Where would I get a statement like that? Well, where the hell do you think? Oh, God, it's all here. It's all in here. You just got to know where to look for it. Okay. Oh my goodness. It's in the preface, I believe. Oh yeah. This is on page, uh, this is a fourth edition, XII, Roman numeral 12. If you have a eating disorder or compulsive overeating problem, we hope that you may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories. And I do suggest you read the O.A. Brown book. What's the use of reading a drunk story in the back of an AA book? Read the OA book for the personal stories. You go to the speaker meetings. You listen to the Light a Candle podcast. You come to meetings like this and let the speaker have enough time. If you have a compulsive reading problem, we hope that you may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories. That's why they put the stories in the back of the original book for identification to gain the confidence of the drunk. That's why we have the Brown book the OA stories, to gain the confidence of the compulsive reader. You may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, that happened to me. Yeah, I used to pretend I was ordering for two people. I've eaten food off the floor. I've eaten pizza pie crust out of the garbage the next day, cold pizza. I've eaten food before it was totally defrosted. I chugged the bottle of maple syrup. Maybe you didn't get that far, but I did. You know... I was a crazy compulsive exercise. So, yes, that happened to me. But more important, more important than identifying with the, with the food store, because some of us are bulimic, some of us are anorexics, some of us are compulsive exercisers, some of us went up to morbid obesity, right? 100 or more pounds. Some of us are yo-yos. Some of us are this, that, and the other thing. More important than whether or not you did compulsive exercising to then, you know, that's just my story. You know, you, you have yours. More important is, yes, I felt like that. And the thing that I always felt in 12-step programs, and all of them really, is somehow, when they were given the rules of life, I was in the bathroom or something. I missed it. You know, they gave out the book of life, and I didn't get the, the rule book. And I just never felt right in my skin. And you scared the shit out of me, or I hated you, or I was jealous of you, or you intimidated me, or she doesn't love me, or they're not treating me right. I just didn't feel right in my skin, okay? And that I've always identified with. 
And so nothing fixes that like a large pizza with a half gallon of mint chip for dessert. See, that'll fix me. And most important, and this is the real message, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. Okay? And if there's one thing I can tell you guys is that I'm not special. Like I said, I wanted to be the superstar in VMA, and I can't. And the book says in Chapter of the Agnostics, the, these are my favorite promises. I may do a thing on the promises, because if, especially if I have that thing. Oh God, did I leave that? I don't know. My favorite promises are actually the second step promises. And they're in chapter 4, in chapter of the agnostics. That's where the second step is in the book. If you, I, I may show you a couple uh, step guides tomorrow. How frequently do we all say, I wish I had what that man has? I'm sure it would work if I can only believe as he believes. That's on page 47. But... These second step prayers, uh, promises, are just phenomenal. Okay? Some of them are, when we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. How do you draw near to, to your higher power? And if the him doesn't bother you, throw it out. The God bothers you. I mean, I, I, I call my higher power God as I don't understand him. Don't let a word drive you out of the program. does not have to be Judeo-Christian. It doesn't have to be my God. It doesn't have to be Bill Wilson's. It doesn't have to be the God of your parents. It doesn't have to be associated with anything in organized religion. It doesn't have to be a he. Choose your own conception of God. You know? As we drew near to him, her, it, he disclosed. He, she, it disclosed itself to us. How do you draw near to God? You get rid of resentments, amends, secrets, and dubious behavior. Chapter 5 and 6. The book is about removing the obstacles which block me from contact with this power. That's what this book is about. And, you know, um, where is that goddamn promise? Um, yeah, a few simple. Um, I'm going to show you uh, this. It says, with this simple attitude, you cannot fail. And I can't find it right now. I, in my laptop. The bottom of 55. Bottom of 55. Yeah. Bottom of 55. Yeah. With this simple attitude, you cannot fail. I mean, what a powerful promise to tell a newcomer. You know, I gained and lost 80 pounds this time. I was on this diet and I died. And today, I, I haven't thought about food. I'm obsessed about food, and it's been like this for over 30-something years. Are you willing to go to any lengths? Okay. Are you willing to remove the obstacles which block you from higher power? The most important thing I can tell you is this can work for you too. How do I do it? With this simple attitude, I cannot fail. What's the attitude they're talking about? Well, they talk about how, but if you look in the back in the spiritual appendix, it's actually the who. Willingness, honesty, and openness. These are indispensable, says the book. If you are willing 
to search for the higher power. If you are willing to follow a sponsor's direction, starting with a food plan and a food sponsor, the eight tools, or the nine tools now, right? They added action plan or something. We got eight or nine now. Nine. If you're willing to get a food sponsor, get a food plan, do what's on those tools. And above all, if you are open that there could be a spiritual, a non-human, although you may feel it reflected in the meeting. The guys who wrote this book, they were low bottom, under the bridge, lock them up, throw away the key, delirium trimmings, alcoholics. You know how many meetings a week they sobered up on? Try one. And most of the people in the meeting were not alcoholic. They were Oxford group meetings. They were more non-alcoholics, what we call today Al-Anons. And it doesn't say here are the meetings which are suggested as a program of recovery. Okay, I go to a lot of meetings, you know. But it's really removing the obstacles which block me from God. Willingness, honesty, openness. It's in the spiritual appendix, appendix 2, and I don't know what page it's on, 5 something or other. Yeah. We find that no one need have yeah five sixty eight in the fourth edition. We have, find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Italicize once again for emphasis. Willingness, honesty, and open mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. But I can guarantee you, with those attitudes, with those simple attitudes, you cannot fail. That's a pretty goddamn powerful promise to give a newcomer. With these simple attitudes, you cannot fail. You can have this too. I'm not special. I wasn't special in France. I'm not special today. It's that simple, you know. I want to take credit for it, of course. But I know damn well that I had no power in me whatsoever to stop eating 33 years ago. I just didn't have the power. I'm looking at the candy bar. I said, I don't want this. Down the hatch. You know, sugar, you know. Anyway, we found, here's another promise on 46, second step promise. I have this thing about has all the promises in the book. If I can find it, I want to use it because they're so powerful. Bottom of 46. We found that God does not make too hard terms with you, with those who seek him. Now, him. I don't want to mail God. My father used to get drunk on Saturday and abuse me and drive me to church. On, I don't want anything to do with his God. And the, Great. Throw it out. Get rid of the mail God. Get rid of the God that your parents had. Get rid of God associated with an organized religion. Get rid of Bill Wilson's God. Get rid of Roy's God. You, why don't you choose your own conception of God? Okay? He won't make hard terms for you if you seek Him. These are all powerful promises. With this simple... it is All right. This is the key question that I would ask myself at a serenity retreat if you really want to get into the steps. I don't know. I mean, I'm willing to... A lot of you guys were talking about program stuff here. I'm willing to do respond to the needs of the group, meditation, sessions, whatever. But for page 47, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am even willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? Now, if you're starting with the OA meetings, guess what? That's great. Bill Wilson says it's great. Chapter 2 of the 12 and 12. He says, 
Just quit the debating society, relax, and take it easy. We're not making hard terms for you. Nobody, and I know in 12-step programs going around is you have to accept whatever it is as your personal savior, whatever. We don't do that here. The difference between a spiritual program and an organized religion is an organized religion usually tells you who God is, the right God, and they usually add, like, and those people over there have the wrong one. And then when they get really pissed off, they say, we ought to go to war with those people over there. They got the really bad one. We don't do that. We just say, you know something? You need a God. You better find one. Okay? That's all we tell you. You need one. And then we give you the way to get to them. Okay? We give you nine tools, 12 steps. I got nothing new to add to that. You got a very common prosaic recovered compulsive overeater here. Because I really got nothing new to add to this game except experience. Except experience. But I'll tell you, and it says it in a lot of our formats, this is not a diet and calories club. This is not a support group. This is not therapy. This program is about making contact with a non-human spiritual dimension of power, as our, it says in the book, our more religious members call it God consciousness. You don't like the G word, don't use it. I call my higher power God as I don't understand him. And he's never made hard terms for me. I haven't had to understand him. I was in a detox 33 plus years ago with a Catholic priest and an Episcopal priest. They were alcoholics. They could define and comprehend God. The book says it's impossible for any of us to define or comprehend that which is God. It's in the chapter of Agnostics. They could define and comprehend it. Then my, my question for you, Father, is what the hell are you doing? You're in a bathrobe just like me. You're a drunk. What's the use of defining or comprehending God if you can't access the power? If you're a compulsive overeater, like I'm a compulsive overeater, that has no power in me not to eat the sixth candy bar, my problem is not defining or comprehending God. My problem is lack of power. Right? Where did I hear that before? Lack of power. That was our dilemma. The priests were drunks. They couldn't access the power. They could define it, comprehend it. The one holy Roman. Or the, I'm not here to knock anybody's church. If I mean, the book says if, you, if you're getting, getting off on church, join one. It says you'll be the light of the congregation. It says most of our members, and I'm one of the not most. I'm the, I, I've never been attracted back to an organized religion, mine or anyone else's. But... It's not about defining, it's not about who's got the right God. It's about the power. Am I accessing the power? Um, there's this little throwaway line in chapter 6 that I want to throw out to you. Because I haven't pulled any punches here, folks. This is not a support group or a group therapy, and it's not a diet and calories club. This is the, what I call the original program. Okay? Um, let me find this. On the page, bottom of page 74, it's talking about your fifth step. Who are you going to take it with? Now, who do we usually take it with? Our sponsors, right? Not so easy to find back here when this was written. However... Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed. Only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this 
because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence. That's, of course, necessary. Now, this one. This is the line, really. That he fully understand and approve of what we are driving at. Well, what are we driving at here? Is this therapy? This is a spiritual program. This program is about a process that removes the obstacles which block me from contact with a power that I choose to call God as I don't understand it. You call it whatever you want. But I need that power. I need the power that those two priests didn't have. And that's what this program is about, is removing the obstacles which block me from that power. And I've run into sponsors who think sponsorship's about running your life or doing this or, you know, telling you who to date and who not to date and what you should do with your money and this and that. And God, I can't manage my life. I can't imagine trying to manage someone else's life. But there are people who, who will do it. And some people actually do it well, you know. But that's not what, what this is about. This program is about, is a spiritual program. It's really two attitude changes, a decision, and nine actions. The attitude, I mean, the two attitude changes. I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm powerless over food. I had to get to the six candy bar, you know, bottoms up to get to that point. You know, that's where I had to get, to get that. I came to believe that a power greater than myself comes. I saw people abstinent, losing weight in OA. Most of us do make our, our second step experience through, really through the fellowship, listening to the stories. We show pictures, you know. We talk about how needy I lost 90 pounds. I come to believe that there's some power these people have got a hold of. And, I, and can it work for me? I just told you. It won't, it won't make hard turns for you. You can have this thing too. With, you cannot fail. And then I make a decision. Do I want this thing? And if I make... It says, before I make the decision, one of the great throwing, I have to first be convinced that any life run on self-will cannot be a success. It's destined for failure. I have to convince myself that I can't do this on my own power. Then I have to make the decision I need the power. And it says that decision, now you, so we have two attitude changes of decision, and it says in the book that decision will have little or no lasting effect unless immediately followed up by action. Next, we launched into a vigorous house clean. In other words, I've said the third step prayer with sponsees and OAM, gave them my four step inventory format, which what do you think it's based on, of course. And that's the last I saw him. So he, you know, he's on his knees reciting a prayer. It's not the, that recitation, and the book says the wording can be optional. You know? It's, it's that recitation of a prayer means nothing. It's just, a, it's just a ritual. And you can choose your own wording. It says so. As long as it's expressed sincerely and honestly. Okay? But that, that little ritual means nothing if, unless it's followed immediately by action. How do I know a guy's done a third step when he shows up with his fourth step? Okay, how do I know he's done a thorough four-step when I listen to it in the fifth step? And I think he's really not holding back anything and he's really giving it all up. And then in the book it says we say, you know, we just go home and review this thing for an hour. But there's a few little things in there. We looked at this carefully because it held the key to the future. 
And then we say a seven-step prayer. It's a paragraph or two in the book. Why is it so short? It took me years to understand this. Years of doing this. It's so short because the six and seven step are nothing more than steps of contemplation and prayer for the power to go into the amends. If I know he's done his honest fourth and fifth and, he's, and I have a list of defects and I have a list of amends, he's asking for the power to get into his amends. You know, it took me 14 years to stop stealing in program. Talk about cash register honesty. You know how I gave up stealing? Paying back the money is how I gave up stealing. You're asking for power in six and seven, if you're working with a sponsor who knows what the hell he's doing, to, you're asking for the power to make those amends. You know what got me to stop hitting on newcomers in the program? Making amends to one of them. Okay? If, a, if you can make a list and not be willing. You know what shows that it says in the eighth step, right? We made a list of all persons we'd harm and became willing to make amends. You know what shows me when the guy's willing? When he makes the amend. Otherwise, you can sit on the list for 20 years. You made a list. Congratulations. You got a great list. Make the amend. The eighth and ninth go together like the fourth and fifth, the sixth and seventh. It's a process. The book refers to this as a process. And having been through this process more than once, and by the way, just coming out of it, still got a few amends to be made, but I've made some biggies. I can tell you, I know what the hell this is all about. It removes the obstacles which block me from this power. And because I have this power in my life, I don't think about food anymore. That the, the, the day of liberation for me was not some magic number on a scale or this or that, or I picked up a can. I was, I'll tell you the day of liberation. I, I mean, I remember it. I was sitting in an AA clubhouse in Miami, eating an abstinent meal, some Chinese food, hold the cornstarch, you know, just meat and veggies, Diet Coke after an AA meeting. And I'm sitting there talking to these drunks after an AA meeting, and I realized I haven't thought about food for two weeks. And this was after I'd come back from Paris. I got abstinent in Paris and came back to Miami, got another food sponsor. We had a little bit more liberal dignity of choice pamphlet, you know, it's goodbye Edie, God bless you, but I'm putting milk in the coffee. And I got into an abstinence and I just flowed into it and the obsession was removed. And that was the day of liberation for me when I realized I hadn't thought about food for two weeks. I haven't thought about food for 33 years, folks. Okay, you talk about a guy that once was on his knees saying, I got to get back to this OA. You know, I couldn't stop eating carob-covered granola bars. I couldn't stop eating French Mounds bars. I gained and lost 80 pounds three times. I'm a free man. I'm a free man. If we have a chance to uh, listen to Bill's Ebby tape tomorrow, this is the story of his ori the original 12-step call, and it's a very instructive thing. He had his spiritual experience, and what came to him, the voice that came to him is, you're a free man, you see? I'm a miracle of mental health. And I can promise you that you can have this thing too. And I think I should conclude on that. I think I've talked enough and you're welcome to ask questions or Richard can do his thing or you can, whatever you want, Richard. But I want to thank you for listening to me. I have absolutely no desire to overeat right now. <laughs>